0: Welcome to the Grace South Bay Church Podcast. I'm Matt Cabot, your host, and Eldor at Grace South Bay. Each week we have a Q&A conversation with our pastors about their sermons. We talk theology and we get into the Bible. And we discuss how to live out our faith as Christians in the Silicon Valley and beyond. Today we continue our conversation on our sermon series from the Gospel of John. In a sermon titled, Wish You Were Here, Pastor Bob looks at the aftermath of Lazarus' death and how his sisters respond differently to Jesus's delayed arrival. How do we make sense of those times when we don't feel God's presence? And where is Jesus in our darkest moments? We'll discuss those questions and more today as we dive into John chapter 11, verses 17 through 35. Glad you're with us. Let's dig in. All right, Bob, so let's set the scene. What event just happened, and where is Jesus now?
1: Yeah, so uh, Lazarus has died, and as we see here in, in verse 17, uh, he's he's been in the tomb four days, and, and usually the practice was you, you wanted to bury the person the day they died, so we can say he's been dead four days, and um, Jesus was uh, on the other side of the Jordan, uh, so Lazarus and Mary and Martha are in the village of Bethany, two miles from Jerusalem. Jesus was on the other side of the Jordan. He got word that Lazarus was sick, and he waited two days. And then he came uh, to Bethany, and Lazarus has been dead four days. It's likely that you know, Jesus uh, maybe already knew that Lazarus was dead supernaturally somehow. Lazarus was probably already dead by the time Jesus got the news, but he decided to stay anyway. Hmm. So that when he arrived, Lazarus would have been dead, dead dead, dead, not, dead not, yeah. not nearly dead, not almost yeah. dead, he'd be dead dead uh, four days yeah. in the tomb. And I didn't mention this in the sermon, Matt, but there, there was uh, a theory at the time, uh, and it might have been a little bit after this, we, we find it later uh, from rabbis that the, the, the spirit of a dead person lingers around for three days, but by the fourth hmm. day it's gone. And hmm. so it's possible that, that this is, you know, referencing that. Like, he's been dead four days, so his spirit is not there. Um, hmm. But maybe not. And it, it's just, you know, hard, hard to, to say anything definitive about that. But anyway, that's what's going on. He shows up. Lazarus is dead, dead. They called for him. He waited two days.
0: Waited two days. Now he's he's arrived finally, right? And he meets Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha, right? So, what do we learn about them in John's Gospel and elsewhere in the Bible?
1: Well, you know, we see them here in in chapter eleven, and then uh, also in chapter twelve. Mary is the woman who you know pours perfume on Jesus and. Uh, wipes, uh, uses her hair uh, to wipe the perfume on his feet, right? This extravagant uh, picture of love and devotion and sacrifice. And it happens in all four Gospels. And Jesus says, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, what she has done will be, will be also told.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, but then we also see them in Luke 10, uh, where Jesus is at their house teaching. And, uh, you know, the very famous story where Mary is at Jesus' feet learning like a disciple would. Mm -hmm. But Martha is, you know, busy doing all the things that you would need to do to host at least a dozen people, maybe more, Mm -hmm. um, you know, feed them and and all that kind of stuff, right? And and Martha is upset that Mary's not helping. And she says to Jesus, don't you care? Don't -hmm. you care that my sister's left me to do all the work, right? Tell her Mm -hmm. to help me, right? And Jesus is like, Martha, come on. Mary, uh, you're worried about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary's chosen the better portion and it will not be taken from her. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we see that those personalities kind of play out here as well uh, in this chapter. So it's really interesting that there's a consistency between the Gospels, between different periods in Jesus' Mm -hmm. ministry of these uh, two people who are kind of on the margins uh, overall Mm -hmm. uh, of Jesus' ministry.
0: Yeah, well, I'm curious about the relationship that Jesus had with Mary and Martha and their brother uh, Lazarus. It it seems like, and this may be a weird analogy, but it seems like the apostles were Jesus' work friends, and (laughs) Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were the people he just liked to hang out with.
1: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it it, it is interesting when you look at this, and and it's said several times, right? You know, Jesus loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus. The one whom you love is sick. Uh, is what they say about Lazarus to Jesus. And, and there is this, clearly, this deep, deep affection and connection mm. between Jesus and these three. Um, and, you know, in fact, there are some people who make the argument that Lazarus is the author of the Gospel of John. Hmm. Um, because later on, as we get into the sort of more private discussions in Holy Week, you know, there's the disciple whom Jesus loved. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is who is the eyewitness and the author of this? Um, and you know, in at the beginning of chapter eleven, it says the one whom you love is sick. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there, it, it's a minority view, but it's mm-hmm. um, but there, there are some interesting things about. It. I think John wrote this gospel for other reasons, and in fact, we'll we'll get a, a sense of that at the, at the very end of the gospel. But mm-hmm. um, but there, there is this idea that wow, Jesus is really connected to to this family. The way that I like to think about it, though, is that. You know, this is, this is a family in Bethany outside of Jerusalem. Maybe Jesus had this connection with, with families in every village in Galilee hmm. and, and hmm. Judah, right? I mean, like, he, he would go to a place and he'd stay with someone. And that's what he told his disciples to do. Go into a village and find a person of peace and stay with them. And that seems to be what he did as well. And hmm. so it's possible that he had these deep, rich connections with people all over Israel. And, and we just happen to know about one of them. Right, right. They, one of them happens to make the gospel, mm-hmm. um, and I, I just think that's who he is. And now it is interesting to talk about. Okay, but you know the disciples don't seem to get this kind of attention, and it's true mm-hmm. because the disciples are officers. Like they, they are the the foundation of the church, and they are called to a specific office. And, um, you know, Jesus doesn't call them necessarily because he just loves them so much and has lots Mm -hmm. of affection for them. There's Mm. a lot of people that Jesus interacts with who he doesn't make his official disciple, one of the 12, Mm. uh, as he's reconstituting Israel around himself. So it it is a unique thing to be a disciple of Jesus, like capital D, one Mm. of the 12, who then are translated into apostles who are sent out by Mm. the resurrected Jesus um, that, that's a very unique role, and it, and it's not necessarily about, you know, how much does he enjoy hanging out with you at night.
0: Right, yeah, totally. So it's clear then that, that Jesus loves this family, yeah, the, the sisters and the brother. So now in this scene, Jesus arrives, and both Mary and Martha use the same grammar in Greek when they say, uh, uh, had you been here— but not when they say, my brother would not have died. What yeah. is the difference? Because you made some comment about that in your sermon.
1: Yeah. Lord, if you had been here, is what they both say. Mm. Um, now, when they say, my brother would not have died, it's interesting. They they use a different word for death. Each one uses a different word for death. And it's a different word order in terms of, my brother would not have died. It, it, there's no, it, it should be translated in English the same way. However, it is possible that when Mary says it, she puts my, she puts that pronoun my first. Hmm. And it's possible that she's making a more personal point. My brother hmm. would not have died. It's, it's possible. Um, but, you know when, when you know, when there's slight variation of something, then you want, actually want to focus on what is exactly the same. And what is hmm. exactly the same is, Lord, if you had been here. And, and that's what I focused on, because, right, you have disappointment for both Mary and Martha. I mean, look, Jesus wasn't four days away, right? But he waited two days to come, right? So, yeah. th- so they knew that there mm-hmm. was a delay. And so there has to be at least a little bit of disappointment. Mm-hmm. And so, Lord, if you had been here, right? And, and then we see these different responses to him, depending on the, the personality of each sister. Mm-hmm. So they, there
0: are some differences. We want to get into that in, in terms of what, how they reacted. Um, but, but it seems like both sisters believe that if Jesus had been there, their brother would not have died. Who did they think that Jesus was?
1: they they i mean i think it makes sense that that martha you know she she will will see her confess that jesus is the messiah the one sent from god i think it's it's fine to assume that they believed he was the christ um and and you know when the christ came that the expectation was he was going to do a lot of good and a lot of healing and they had probably seen him do miracles before. Um, so they certainly thought of him as a wonder worker, probably the one sent from God, probably the Messiah, son of David, um, and that, that he, could have, he could have kept Lazarus from dying if he'd hmm. been there. I mean, hmm. we also know that Jesus healed across distances. You know, I mean, hmm. they could have said something like, Jesus, you could have kept him alive even if you hadn't been here. Yeah. Right, and that then that would have been a legitimate and theologically accurate statement. Um, but for them, it is you know you weren't here, right? You now where mm-hmm. were you, right? If you had been here, my mm-hmm. brother would still be here. You are a powerful person. You are connected to God. You are sent from God. Um, and if you'd only been here, my brother would still be alive.
0: right, so both of them believe that that was the case, and both of them obviously were disappointed by this. Uh, But let's talk about some of the differences between how the two sisters respond to this late arrival of Jesus. And let's talk about Martha first. How did she respond to, to Jesus's late arrival?
1: Right, so after, you know, she says, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. She, in verse 22, says, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And I think it's very unlikely that she is, you know, suggesting to him that he raise Lazarus from the dead. Because when he asked for the stone to be rolled away, she says, ah, he he stinks by now. It's been four Mm. days. She's not expecting that. I think that this is her encouraging herself and Jesus. Almost like, well, Jesus, you you didn't make it in time and you kind of let us down. But Mm. I still believe in you. I still trust you, right? I'm still your faithful follower even now, right? Even after this failure, even now. Mm-hmm. I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. You're still worth following. I'm still willing to trust you. I still believe you're powerful. Mm-hmm. And, and I, think of, I think Martha is just kind of trying to, um, you know, keep, you know, buoy, buoy her own faith mm-hmm. um, and even perhaps console Jesus that, that he wasn't able to do something that he would have liked to have done. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that this is something that uh, many, many believers do. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it sounds like more of a theological intellectual response to to Jesus. And I was just thinking, how are the members of our church in Grace South Bay like Martha?
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I think be, the kind of church we are, the kind of denomination we're in, you know, we we do attract people who really love theology, um, and and they love uh, you know sort of the the ideas behind uh, Christianity and and the faith. Um, and and they're comfortable, you know. Many we have many academics, we have many people who have graduate degrees. Right, they're comfortable in that world, uh, you know, of, of thinking and theology and doctrine. Um, and it's important, and and it's something that you know can be quite exciting and beautiful. Um, but <clears throat> what can happen is that you know you're you're constantly defaulting to that, in, in such a way that you're actually not allowing yourself to really engage emotionally with what's going on, right? That theology mm-hmm. becomes more important than anything else. And I got I to gotta kind of affirm the, the theological truths here mm-hmm. before I allow myself to feel anything. What I feel mm-hmm. might be dangerous, what I feel might not be theologically accurate— right? And so I got to make sure that I'm accurate. I got to make sure that I'm following the blueprint and the structure uh, of this this system that I subscribe to. Mm. It's a, it's a you know, there's safety in that. Um, and oftentimes, it's really important, right? I mean, it, it keeps people in churches from going astray. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also can be uh, just a, a sort of a defense mechanism against feeling things we don't like to feel.
0: hmm. You know that reminds me. In like fact, th- I think you may have said this in your sermon too. That some of this theology comes out in platitudes that we give people yeah. uh, to that are grieving. Um, so maybe we should just take a little side note just for a second and talk about what are some of the platitudes people give to grieving Christians and why are they not helpful? Um, and, if, and if if they're not helpful, what should we say?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I you know, and I think we can. You know, we, we can all imagine them, right, um, in terms of, well, you know, everything happens uh, for a good reason, this, mm. you know, this, God has a plan, um, all things will work for good, um, you know, God is making all things new, uh, these are truths, and so when we say platitudes, um, you know, it, it, it kind of diminishes them, these are, these are wonderful, beautiful mm. truths, um, that are absolutely, um, you know, accurate and, and revealed to us in Scripture and, and, and deeply important. Um, but they are things that in the moment of someone's deep grief, uh, again, it, it's sort of a, a theological statement that you can't get through uh, hmm. t- to someone's uh, deep emotions. And, you know, I think probably the right person at the right time could say things like, you know, God is with you and you will see your loved one again. Mm-hmm. And, and that can be comforting or at least not aggravating, but it's like, it's like people in passing when, when people are afraid of suffering and when they're afraid of emotion and don't know what to say and don't know what to do. Um, and, and they don't like what this might mean about God, then sort of like they, they, they fall back on this, you know, well, here's a statement, you know, I'll pray for you or, mm-hmm. you know, you know, God will be glorified in this somehow, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. and it's in passing. Uh, and and people don't feel loved that way. So I, I think it's it's not just what we say. It's, you know, the, the way that we engage emotionally with someone, the time that we spend with them. Um, and you know how it is with hurting people. Oftentimes hurting people have to take care of the people who come to comfort them, right, yeah. and make them feel better, right? Mm. I mean, it's like that's not how it's supposed to be. So we use the rich theological truths found in Scripture to enable us to move towards people who are hurting when they don't even want to hear answers, when they don't want right. to hear theology. But we can move towards them because we know that God is true and God is good, um, and, and He is working all things for good, and so therefore right. I could just sit with this person. Yes. And I can just mourn with them, and I could just be sad with them, and and I can allow them to ask their questions of God, yell at God, whatever, mm-hmm. say whatever they want. They don't have to be corrected. Um, you know, you don't have to. Def- you don't have to defend God, right? right God, right. God will defend Himself. Yes, exactly. uh, our job is is to be there with that person, and, and to be a, a representative Jesus of Jesus, even if it's just our presence. Yeah,
0: well, in seminary we call actually called that the ministry of presence. Yes, being with someone. Okay, so so let's return then to this conversation between Jesus and Martha, um, when when. Jesus, what does Jesus mean when he says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life?
1: So, I mean, he means a lot. And, uh, you know, Jesus says a lot when he says little. And, you know, you could look at that as sort of almost a, uh, he's saying the same thing twice, right? So Mm -hmm. since I'm the resurrection, uh, I am life after death, I am eternal life. So the resurrection and life are the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, but then he goes on to kind of explain it's a little bit different or, or they, they, they mean two different things. On the one hand, um, like Jesus says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in that sense, I am life after death. I am the resurrection after death. Uh, you can have hope in me for life after death. But then he goes on to say, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die, which, mm. Kind of means, or not kind of, but, but means that even now you can begin to have resurrection life, right? Believing in me right now means that this eternal life that I'm promising after death, it begins now, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and it, once you're alive, you are alive forever, and, and you're alive by believing in me. So there's, there's resurrection life after death, but there's also the beginning of resurrection life right now, and that's something that's so, so, you know, what Martha was kind of talking about is like, you know, well, yes, I know my brother will, will rise again in the resurrection on the last day, right? One day, one day he'll rise again, and until then, I, I guess I just have to tough it out, and I'm just going to miss him. And, and Jesus is mm. saying, no, e- eternal life starts when you believe, right? And, and, and there, there is real, rich, thick, deep hope Right now for you to hang on to, and I am the resurrection of life. I'm right in front of you right now. Deal with me. And mm. so it's this, it's obviously incredibly valuable and beautiful and important, but it's but it's also in this particular interaction. it's exactly what Martha needed.
0: Well, is there any significance to the fact that Jesus tell this tells us to Martha before he raises Lazarus?
1: You know, I, I think that there's he I, I think that what he's doing is he's trying to meet Martha in her defense mechanism, right? So mm-hmm. she's she's trying to use theology. Yes, I know my brother will rise again on the last day. Whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And he's trying to kind of break up some of that stuff and force her to deal with him right now, which is why he says, Do you believe this? Right. Mm. I mean, like he 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 doesn't always force the question, but he he does here. Do you believe this? Right? He wants to meet Martha where she's at. Um, mm-hmm. and actually kind of push her theology to a place that's actually going to be hopeful and comforting and life-giving. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's like he he is asking her to trust him before she sees what he can do. Mm-hmm. And And of course, this is what we need to be doing as well, right? Because we're not necessarily going to see someone raised from the dead. But this is what Jesus is asking all of us. Will you trust that I'm the resurrection and life before you see people raised from the dead, before mm. you get to heaven, right? Will you—can yeah. you make this decision now? Can you say you believe this? Will you follow me and trust me now, right? So what he's asking Martha, he's asking all of us.
0: Well, do you think that, that our theology can actually distract us from a personal encounter with Jesus?
1: Sure. Yeah, I, it definitely can. And, and Matt, you went to seminary. I went to seminary. You know, a lot of people talk about seminary as a very dry time spiritually. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's sort of you know making God academic uh, can be can be very uh, hard for people. I loved it. I loved being in seminary, and I loved mm-hmm. getting deep into theology and learning the languages and that kind of thing. That that only enhanced my relationship with God, but. It's not, it doesn't work that way for a lot of people, and partly it's because you know, our theology is always going to be a, an abstraction, and, and we're always going to be probably uh, more precise. I mean, you know, our, our language isn't perfect, and in fact, there's a, there's, there's a theology that the Eastern Orthodox believers have, which is called apophaticism, which mm. is, we're only going to say what we can't say about God, right? right? I mean, like, who are we to define God so clearly and crisply? Right, the via um, negativa. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. So hmm. when we do theology, we are making some precise statements about God and how mm-hmm. He works, and these are abstractions to enable us to understand. But they don't, you know, perfectly fit our experience of God or what we see in the world. They can't,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, because you know, God is transcendent, and, and in many ways, He's He's far beyond our understanding. So I think when you put those two together, my experience of God in the world and my theology about who God is, uh, there isn't always like this perfect fit and congruence. Mm-hmm. And so for people like us who really, really like our theology, mm-hmm. um, sometimes we can, we can basically go with our theology and say, well, uh, what I know is the theology and what I'm experiencing, I'm not sure about. So I'm just going to kind of close my eyes to that. Hmm. And when we do that, like when we're not open to a God who surprises us or a God who calls us into, you know, tension hmm. uh, or even in, you know, into gray areas, um, that's when our relationship with God can wither.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about then the other sister. Um, you know, two sisters were disappointed and two believed that if, had Jesus been there, things would have been different. Yep. But Mary responds differently than Martha. How so?
1: yeah i mean she says the same thing right if you'd been here my brother would not have died um but but she does that by falling at his feet you know and i i Mm -hmm. use this word crumple and i think that's exactly what we should see she she stayed in the house martha goes and gets her she comes out runs to jesus falls at his feet saying you know if you had been here my brother would not have died right so she Mm -hmm. and she's just sad, right? I mean, she's just, you know, feeling all of her feelings, all the emotions. Um, and and she's, she's weeping, right? I mean, she's, mm. and, and, and she has friends and people from Jerusalem who are there, they're weeping as well, right? And so it's just sort of this outpouring of emotion. She's just sad, probably disappointed, but more than anything else, she's just sad. And it's, mm. it's sweet that she goes to, to Jesus and falls at his feet and just kind of pours out, pours out her heart.
0: Yeah, so in this passage we we have the the shortest verse in the Bible yeah, yeah. and that's Jesus wept. But when it says that Jesus wept, how do the Greek words better capture Jesus's emotional state?
1: Yeah, so this so this word that is used here for wept, it's it's the only time it's used in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. This Greek word, uh decruo and you know, again, like I said, the, the using the lexicon that, you know, all seminaries use and pastors use, um, it describes it as burst out in tears, and that's using it, f- that's finding the word in other Greek literature of the time, mm. burst out in tears, right? The word weep is found uh, just in the, in the verses before, but that word is used more for like mourning, you know, so you think about mm. people at a funeral, right? They, they got their handkerchiefs and they're sniffling and there's some tears, right? That's weeping, right this is different right this is this is bursting out in tears and when it talks about how jesus was uh, deeply moved and troubled in his spirit right those are words that were used as jesus was contemplating his death and as he was contemplating judas's betrayal of him right these are these are words that talk about him being shaken to his core and mm. he bursts out in tears at the at the thought and at the sight of lazarus's tomb and seeing mary and the people with her also grieving and weeping, so obviously it's a it's a deeply emotional experience and moment for Jesus. Um, we also see him weep uh, as he's approaching Jerusalem, right? So this is it, it's a it's a different word, but it's not uncommon mm-hmm. for Jesus to be sad and to show it, right? That's, yeah, Jesus is totally in touch with his feelings.
0: <laughs> and this scene that really is touching that he does burst out in tears when he sees the, the state of the, the, these two sisters that he loves, and, of course, Lazarus he loves too. Yes. Um, do, does, in some ways—and this is different, of course, because Jesus is in heaven— but does Jesus weep with us today as we grieve?
1: You know, I, I think so, Matt. I mean, I think that one of the reasons why John wrote this, right, and why, why the Spirit put this in Scripture is to help us understand that, yes, Jesus— Jesus does weep with us, right? And he is Mm -hmm. emotionally available in that way. And of course, to get a little Trinitarian, right? I mean, God's spirit is in us. And and Jesus says that the way he and the father will come to us is by dwelling in us by his spirit. Mm -hmm. Paul talks about how the spirit, you know, utters up groans that words can't express from within us, right? That... God's Spirit is is you know in us and is going through life with us and praying for us and fighting for us, mm-hmm. um, and that and Jesus is you know in in the Spirit, uh, and so I think that there is this you know shared experience. There is this mm-hmm. empathy that Jesus has for us. He stands uh, to intercede for us now, right? And and he mm-hmm. is a he is a kind and faithful High Priest who knows what it's like. To be tempted, right? Who knows weakness? Who knows death? So I think it's uh, it's very appropriate to say that yes, he he weeps with us when we are weeping, right? He is mm. sad with and for us when when we are sad.
0: How do we invite Jesus into our pain, and why should we?
1: Yeah, so I, I think just I mean, if possible, doing what Mary does, you know, falling at his feet and talking to him, right? Pouring mm. out our heart. To him. Now, you know, everyone connects with Jesus in different ways. Um, that could be in gathered worship, it can be in private, it can be in music, it can be in prayer, it could be in Scripture. Um, you you might need other people around you to kind of pull it out of you, whatever else. But the idea is somehow or another, getting in front of Jesus and pouring out your heart to Him, mm. right? A- addressing Him, and and of course, you know, we are given 150 prayers in the Psalms. Uh, to pour out our hearts to God, um, and so, if nothing else, you know start praying the psalms and and use the words "God gives us." Uh, to bring our full range of emotions to him, anger, sadness, uh, envy, jealousy, all these different things. Um, Mm. And and we bring those to Jesus. And as opposed to, you know, what we might do is say, well, you know, those emotions aren't good emotions, or I'm afraid of where those are going to lead me, or I I don't know how those emotions fit with my theological convictions. Mm -hmm. It's like, don't do that, right? Just... Mm. Bring your heart to Jesus. And the reason why you would want to do that um, is, first of all, if you're not dealing with your emotions, they're going to deal with you, right? Mm. I mean, like, your emotions are there, and they're powerful, particularly if if you're not expressing them and working through them and dealing with them. But Jesus made us and saved us. And is yeah. and is making us new. So this is where we have a chance to actually have uh, our 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 heart changed. This is where we can begin to see how our lives fit into His story uh, and what He's called us to. Right. This is where we can begin to um, understand. You know, our heart condition. Matters to Jesus, mm. and and He's working in our hearts, um, and that our feelings matter to Him, um, and and that they're not you know just these these alien forces that are meant to be you know ignored. Uh, I think mm. these are that's incredibly important for us. Like we can be full human beings uh, with Him, and He is all about um, renewing our full humanity, right? Mm. And so, of course, we should be bringing to Him our deepest hardest, darkest emotions, because that's part of who we are, and we need Him to redeem those things. That doesn't yeah. mean we're not supposed to be sad, it just means, you know, the, the, the things that we're sad about are really powerful in our lives, and we need yeah. Him to work in those places. Mm-hmm.
0: So, you know, as an elder of this church, I'm privy to what's going on in various people's lives and in families and so forth, and I know that you, as a, as a pastor, I'm, I'm aware of how you spend your days and your evenings? Um, my question is, and this is a pastoral question as an elder to to, <laughs> to uh, his pastor. How do you not become overwhelmed by the grief and the pain that you encounter uh, among those in your flock?
1: Uh, yeah, I, that's a good question, Matt. I, and I, you know, there are times when there is some just sort of emotional uh, exhaustion and and sadness, and and you just need to weep. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's, I, th- I think you think about it like the medical profession, right? You, you need to have, uh, you know, the ability to empathize, right? And the ability to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you also need the ability to kind of, you know, distance yourself a little bit to kind of help point them to Jesus, you know? Yeah. Um, so y- y- if you over identify, then you're not going to be, uh, much of a help. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's just kind of a personality thing. Um, at least for me, you know, I feel like it works that way. I don't know if it's perfect. I don't know if I have the, uh, I'm, I'm sure I don't have the perfect blend. Um, but it, it is something that it, it doesn't, you know, like threaten my job. Um, but, you know, the other thing, the way I look at it, Matt, it's like, it, these are holy moments. When, mm. when someone is bringing deep hurt to me, Mm-hmm. Um, you know it, it, this is this is an incredible privilege, right Someone is letting me in um maybe you know because they trust me um, because they want to hear words of comfort um you know and and I get to try in some way or another whether it 's just by my presence or by my words. I get to mm-hmm. point these people to jesus to to point them to the great physician, the real physician right the the good shepherd. Uh, the one who weeps with them the one who knows their weakness a, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief who bore yeah. our infirmities i get to point those people to him um and so like what a what a privilege mm. um and it and so in that sense it it's it's deeply moving uh, yeah. to be a part of that and and encouraging you know that that these you know people are going through these things and and, and I get to be one of the few people who actually hears and knows, um, and, and I get to try to help by just, you know, bringing them to Jesus. That's, I, it's, thankfully, it's not my job to fix them, you know? Yeah. All yeah. I can do is be helpful and point them to Jesus. Thank God, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. the, gift, the gift of limits, right? Like, so remembering mm. that um, yeah. and, and really just kind of cherishing that time and those moments.
0: Well, that's an amazing attitude, and I know that we're blessed to have you do that and shepherd oh, us. thanks, man. Yeah. So, uh, final question is, is God making all things new now, or are we just hoping that someday He will?
1: Yeah, so this is a great question um, that gets into uh, a phrase that you've probably heard before, already, not yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know— there are, in this case, there can be two errors. One is that, well, it's already here, right? And resurrection's already here. I mean, some people are saying that in the New Testament, right? And and Paul has to argue against that. No, 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 the resurrection hasn't happened yet. Um, you know, or we already have all the power we need. Um, you know, John and First John has to deal with that. Uh, but then there's other people who would say that, yeah, I mean, right now we're just kind of stuck and, and things suck and we just have to wait for Jesus to come back or die, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and what we see in the Gospels and in the Epistles is that, no, no, there's this explanation of already not yet, that, that already we are being made new and we are new creations and the Spirit does live in us and we are united to Christ. And so therefore we do have new life. We do have this power to turn away from sin. Um, you know, we do have this hope of resurrection in us And yet, there is a not yet, right? Jesus hasn't returned. The kingdom has not been consummated, right? So we still do long for and groan uh, Mm -hmm. over our own brokenness and the brokenness of creation. That's why we can expect that there will continue to be suffering and we will continue to struggle with sin uh, in this life, Uh, even though we know Jesus meets us in our suffering and we know that by his spirit, we have the ability to turn away more and more from sin, Mm-hmm. So it's this idea of already not yet. So it's, so in that sense, uh, things are being made new now. And, and people can testify to that in their lives, in their relationships, in their marriages. Um, there's all kinds of ways things are being made new, but they are not finished yet. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, things are definitely not finished. Um, but, but we are already beginning to see and taste uh, this new life in various ways, and I think it's important Mm. that we bring that kind of hope and expectation to God in our prayers, in our worship, that, okay, like I, you know, he is making things new, and so I want to be a part of that, and I want to taste that, and so bringing Mm. that kind of faith, that expectant faith and hope uh, to him, I think he meets us in that, as opposed to being like, well, Mm. I know he's not going to do anything today or tomorrow, right? right? I guess I just got to wait until I die, right? Mm. That's That's uh, theologically inaccurate, but that's also going to be something that drives you away from relationship with God.
0: Yeah. Well, we have every reason to hope that he's working in us right now, and he will bring things to completion at some
1: point. Exactly.
0: Well, Bob, thanks again for your time this morning. Thanks, Matt. The title of Bob's sermon is Wish You Were Here. It's part of our sermon series from the Gospel of John. You can find that sermon and all our sermons and this podcast on iTunes and Spotify and on our website website at gracesouthbay.com. You can also find a link on our website to ask questions for this podcast. We're really glad that you're tuning into these podcasts, and we hope that these conversations are helping you develop a closer relationship with Jesus. If you have questions about the Christian faith or just need someone to talk to, We have pastors, elders, youth leaders, and a women's care team ready to help. We're just an email or a phone call away. If you have a prayer request, you can also go directly to our website at gracesouthbay.com and submit your request using the prayer button at the top of the website. And if you're new to Grace South Bay, we would encourage you to fill out the Connect card and one of our pastors will reach out to you. And of course, we'd love to have you join us for Sunday morning worship. We meet at 9 a.m. at Crossroads Bible Church in San Jose. We'll be back next week with another episode of the GSB podcast. So stay tuned, stay connected, and be encouraged knowing that nothing can separate you from God's love. We look forward to our next time together. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks for listening.